You're listening to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle. I'm an attorney and a betrayal recovery coach. And I work with women who have been betrayed by their intimate partner and want to use that devastation as an invitation to reclaim their identity to rebuild their self-worth and to step back fully into their power so they can go forward and create exactly the kind of life that they deserve going forward. You see, I believe that betrayal uncovers the truth. Betrayal uncovers the truth of all of those things inside of us that we don't really want to see, that we don't really want to admit to. And until we're confronted with a situation like, oh, infidelity, that forces us to stop, look inside, and really finally start dealing with all of those things that we've always been too busy or too distracted to deal with. If you'd like to learn more, if you would like to download your copy of my Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide, then go to betrayalrecoverycoach.com and download your free Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide. The guide is going to give you three simple things that you can do to start getting honest getting clear, and taking steps towards creating exactly the kind of future that you want and that you deserve. Today's show is an important show. We are going to talk about what to do when you don't get what you want. What to do when you don't get what you want. There's so much hype out there, and believe me, I love a lot of the hype about manifesting and, you know, creating exactly what you want. And yeah, I'm talking about that too, because post-betrayal is the perfect time to actually start rebuilding your life and your identity and self-worth and all of that. But there's also a lot of hype out there about just do it and about being courageous and strong and leaning in, and we can do these really hard things. And it's like, yes, and yes, we're in control of our lives. Yes, we can co-create, we can manifest, we can do all that. And, and that's the and that I want to talk about today, there's times when we just can't get what we want. There's times where something shuts us down. And it doesn't matter how hard we pray or manifest or work. 
It doesn't matter if we talk to all the right people and do all the right things. It doesn't turn out for us. And that's a cold, hard slap in the face that is not a lot of fun. But that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that reality that sometimes things don't turn out the way we want them to or even the way that they should. I mean, think about your infidelity situation. Even without knowing you, I can guess that this is not something that you anticipated or planned or deserved. Things just happen sometimes. And there's nothing we can do to change that. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what to do, what to do when things don't turn out. What to do when you maybe go to your spouse and say, I really want to work things out. And they say, you know what? I'm just done. Or when you say, I'm just done. And they say, I'm not going to let you go. We're going to talk about what to do. If you've been listening to this show for a while, if you know me and my coaching and my work, you know that I love looking at both sides of the issue. It's probably because I was an attorney and I practiced law for 10 years, but I always like looking at both sides of the issues, partially because it helps give me a fuller understanding about what's really going on, but also because it allows me to process things more fully. And when we're talking about not getting what we want, it's important to process them fully. So what I'm going to be giving you today is three simple things for you to think about when life is not turning out the way you anticipated and when you are not getting what you want. And for each of those three things, they're going to be both sides of the coin, if that makes sense. So for instance, the first one, the very first tip that I'm going to give you for how to deal when you can't get what you want is to grieve. But on the other side of that grief coin is positivity and looking for the blessings. So that is that first step. The first step is finding the balance between grief and looking for the blessings. Now, why am I lumping these two things together and calling them both sides of the coin and talking about balance? Because what we want to do in life is find equilibrium. What we need to do in life is find equilibrium so we feel good. So we're resilient, so we're courageous, so we feel confident, so we're clear. When we have equilibrium, it's okay when we get thrown off of balance because we know how to right ourselves again. If you think about the teeter-totter, one side goes down, the other side goes up, pretty soon it balances out. You might overcorrect, but pretty soon you find that equilibrium point in the middle. And that's where I want you to be when things don't turn out the way you planned, when you can't get what you want. 
So whatever it is, let's just say you really want to work things out with your spouse and they say, no way, you can't get what you want. Thunk, it crashes down on the one side. Your job is not to stay in that pit. Your job is also not to convince your spouse to come back and work things out and create this wonderful, harmonious, happy home. Your job is to find balance somewhere in the middle. To take that grief, to take that situation that you don't want and not to muscle through and make it your way, but to find equilibrium and balance so you can move ahead and enjoy your life. So eventually you'll be able to let it go and find peace and you'll be ready to welcome new things in your life and embrace different circumstances and situations and people. So that's why when I'm talking about these three tips for each tip, I'm going to give you kind of the the opposite sides. So that first tip, grief. And on the other side of the coin, finding blessings. When things don't turn out the way you want, the very, very first thing I want you to do is grieve. I don't want you to move into false positivity. That is not helpful. I want you to grieve. Grieving is a normal, natural, healthy process. And I don't know how or where along the line we started thinking that grief is not normal and natural and healthy. When something bad happens, humans grieve. Holy cow, animals grieve. If you've ever had pets, and have had one pet have to be put to sleep or pass away, your remaining animals go through a transition phase where they look and act like they're in grief because they are grieving. If you've ever lost a person or a job or anything, you too have grieved. And you're supposed to grieve. Grieving is a process that allows you to feel negative emotions. I get it. I get it. Nobody wants to feel negative emotions, but you need to. You need to feel those negative emotions. You need to allow them to come up and to flow through you. And that is why you grieve. Grieving allows the negativity, the sadness, the pain to move through you. Guess what happens if you don't grieve? It gets stuck in you. Guess what happens when negative emotions are stuck in you? Disease, discomfort, illness, injury. Grief needs to flow through you. You may be familiar with Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life. Um, It's an amazing book, absolutely amazing book. And I've had my copy for years and I refer to it all the time. And what that book is about is it's about whenever you're feeling something in your body, it'll help you discern and figure out what is the emotion behind that thing that you are feeling. For Instance, a few weeks ago, my husband said, I am banging my shins all the time. I've had like six shin injuries. 
And I never have shin injuries and I have no idea what's going on. And I was like, aha, <laughs> let's pull up the Louise Hay book and let's look up shins, lower legs. Well, the emotion behind that is around moving forward and stumbling blocks and feeling like you're blocked from moving forward. And here's the thing. His dad passed away not too long ago, and he's been waiting to be appointed executor of the estate. And all of these things are coming up and he can't do it until he gets appointed executor. So that's the perfect analogy. It's like a stumbling block. I want to do this, but I can't. Boom. Roadblock. I can't. I haven't been officially appointed yet. Things manifest in our body that's in our energy field. So first of all, pick up a copy of the book. It's amazing. Get up, get a paper copy of it because that way you can just pick it up and flip through and that's much easier than a digital copy. Um, and you can start looking up if you've got pain in your neck, if you've, got, if you've got pain in your elbow and just figuring it out. But moving forward, know that you need to grieve to get these emotions out so you don't get in a place where you find yourself getting sick or creating illness or disease in your body. So that's that very first thing is to grieve. Now, on the other side of the grief coin is blessings, counting your blessings, looking on the bright side, gratitude, positivity. I said earlier that I don't want you to move into gratitude and positivity too fast because there is nothing worse than false positivity. There is nothing worse than putting on a happy face and pretending that you don't feel the emotions that you really feel. But these are two sides of the coin because you need to do both. Because if you only let yourself grieve, if you only think about how horrible it is that I'm in this situation that, oh my God, my spouse cheated on me and now I have to get a divorce and I wasn't prepared for a divorce and now my kids are totally messed up and my social circles are messed up and I have to get a whole different job and my retirement's messed up. If you're only in that grief and pain, it's easy to get sucked in. It's easy to spiral down. So you need to balance your grieving with some conscious positivity. Notice I said conscious positivity as opposed to fake positivity. Conscious positivity and fake positivity are totally different things. And let me explain. Consciously being positive is being aware I am in a really bad place right now. My mental health is not good. I've taken a major hit. The rug has been completely pulled out from under me. Everything that I have worked for and strived for and sacrificed for is no longer a thing. And I cannot pull it together. I am in a horrible place right now. And yet still, I am going to choose consciously to look around me and to notice some things that I'm thankful for. To notice some of the blessings in my life. I'm going to consciously choose to see that, you know what, it's a beautiful day today. I'm going to consciously choose to be thankful and aware. You know, I do have some good friends. I'm safe right now in my home. I'm safe in a shelter. I'm safe 
in this hotel room, wherever you're at. I'm physically safe right now. I might not be tomorrow, but for right now, I'm safe. It's consciously choosing to find some blessings. You know, I'm still educated. I'm still a mom. I'm still a daughter. I'm still whatever it is. I can still read. I love my books. You know, my body is healthy and I can go take a walk because I'm fortunate enough to live in a place where the streets are safe or there's nature nearby. It's consciously choosing that positivity, grieving and choosing positivity. It's all part of the same bundle. It's the same teeter-totter. You can think about it as two sides of the same coin or two ends of the teeter-totter. Grief on one side, conscious positivity on the other, until you find your equilibrium. And why I like thinking about it in terms of a teeter-totter is because I don't care who you are or what's going on or how perfect your life is or isn't, you're going to bounce. Everybody has down days. Everybody throws pity parties. Everybody gets crazy positive and uber excited over things too. That's normal. I coach women and men too, but mostly women who have been betrayed by their intimate partner. What I do is I help them find equilibrium. I help them understand what happened. I help them get to the real story so they know beyond a shadow of a doubt what really was going on with their partner's affair, what's really going on with them and how to handle it and how to navigate going forward. I help them with communication. I help them with resources. I help them flow that grief through their body so they don't get stuck and sick. I help them manage their obsessive thoughts. I help them navigate D-Days. I help them do all of these different things in service of equilibrium. And so many women will say to me, but Laura, things were going really well. And on Tuesday, I fell apart. What is wrong with me? And I love it when people say that to me because then I can say nothing. You're human. I don't care if you are, you know, Oprah, the queen, pink, Beyonce. I don't care who you are. You are going to have bad days. You are going to have trash can days and it's okay. As we work together, you will have fewer trash can days days, but you will have the skills to pull yourself up when you do, and you will have that mental awareness that it is not the end of the world, and you will allow yourself to grieve, and you will get better at grieving, because that's something else I really feel is important to work with, is teaching people how to grieve, because our culture We are so darn afraid of pain and grief. 
And we're told to stuff it down and to put on a happy face and not to cry at work and don't air your dirty laundry. And we have all of these messages about what not to do. But the reality is we're emotional things and our feelings are important and it matters. And if we were all a little bit more honest with them, and if we all knew how to grieve and we held space for other people, that's okay. You're at work. Go to the bathroom and cry. Feel it. Just feel it. Go, go take a walk and cry. It's okay. We all do. If we were a little more open and honest and authentic and vulnerable and all of that, at the end of the day, we would be a healthier society. I really am willing to say we wouldn't have the mental health crises that we have if we taught our kids how to grieve. If we taught our kids also how to balance and find that equilibrium. You know, manic, manic depressive, it's, it's like clinical. Oh my God, they're manic. Oh, they're depressed. Yes, there is the clinical people that have the manic you know, depressive disorders. However, that's a little bit of life. Isn't life a little bit manic depressive? Things are really, really good or things are really, really bad. And it's not that we're supposed to have only good days. We're supposed to find balance. We're supposed to have our really good days and enjoy them because it feels good. And then we're supposed to have our really, really bad days and know that it's okay that we have those really, really bad days, that it doesn't have to color everything else. You know, in that same vein, my husband and I are six years out, basically. And we still occasionally will have fights, really bad fights, really nasty things that where it's like, oh my God, how did this blow up? And it's okay. And some of the training that I had to do for myself was reframing that in my mind. that This doesn't mean anything. The fact that we've worked really, really hard and repaired and pulled things back together does not make us immune from ever having problems or ever getting really upset. It doesn't mean it's going to take all that away. It means that we are normal, two people living experiencing a lot of tough stuff and having misunderstandings and both getting our feelings hurt and both getting angry and both doing things wrong. And then realizing what we need to do to make that repair. Early on, I would launch into blah, this means he's leaving. Blah, this means he's not doing the work. Blah, this means it doesn't mean anything. Grieving, having a fight, having a really, really bad day doesn't mean anything. It just means that you're grieving. It means that you had a fight. It means that you had a really bad day. And having a really good day doesn't mean anything either. It means you had a really good day. It means you were really connected and had a ton of fun. It means this is going to be a core memory and that's awesome. Enjoy it and appreciate it. So that is my very, very first tip on how to find equilibrium, how to balance and get through when things are not turning out the way you wanted and when you just absolutely will not get and cannot get what you want. The second teeter-totter or the second coin that I want to talk about is letting go versus controlling something. 
So again, one side of the coin is just let go. And the other side of the coin is lean in and control something. When you're not getting what you want, when your partner is not interested in having a relationship and you're interested in a relationship, when you're interested in monogamy and your partner says, nope, I want an open relationship, whatever it is, one of the best things you can do is understand that balance between letting go and finding control. Now, I want to talk a little bit about both. In our society, we are conditioned to be self-reliant, to fight for what we want, to just do it, to go for it. And that is so awesome because there's a lot that we can do. And again, just like we don't talk about grief, just like we don't train people to grieve, we don't talk about what happens when you don't get your dream. What happens when you invest everything and you lose it? What happens when somebody is killed? What happens when you want to have a baby and you find that you can't? What happens when you really want to work things out and you're partner moves in with their affair partner. What do you do? People say, well, just let it go. Yes. And we'll talk about that next. But it's also really important to find something that you can control. It's important to empower yourself, to get yourself out of that victim stance that all this stuff just happened to me and it is so unfair. And it is so unfair. And you were victimized. It's important to find something that you can control and to exercise control over that. Now, yes, 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 yes. Controlling yourself, I get that. We talk about that. You can only control your reactions. You can only control your thoughts. You can only control your choices. You can only blah, 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 blah. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm talking about actually controlling something that's healthy. It's really healthy to control something. Notice I'm not saying someone, but something. One of the things I talk about in my keynote is a time in my life. I was about 30 years old. I just had my second baby. So I had a newborn and a 22-month-old. I was working full-time. My husband had gotten a job where he was required to travel two weeks out of every month. I had a home that was new to us, but that needed a ton of work. I had a one-year-old yellow lab puppy that had more energy than you can ever even think about or imagine. And I had three of my four grandparents who were in some stage of dying. One had Alzheimer's. Uh, that was progressively getting worse and was in an Alzheimer's facility. Down the hall was his wife, my grandma, who had emphysema, who was also in the last stages of that. And my other grandpa on the other side uh, was at the very end with lung cancer. So to say my life was out of control was a complete and total understatement. Tell me if this has ever happened to you. My focus 
during that time, my obsession, the thing that I thought about day and night was the fact that my fingernails were awful, that I never had time to give myself a manicure or paint my nails. And I would sit there at my desk sometime and I would look at my hands and I'd be like, oh God, these are ugly nails. And then I'd go home and it'd be bedtime and I'd think I can't even paint my nails because I've got to change diapers and it's too ti- I'm too tired and they'll get mess up, messed up by the sheets. And, and I would obsess about my nails. And then when it would be a weekend when I would actually break away and sometimes have a chance to paint them, it felt so good because I could paint them and then I would look at the result and they would be painted and they'd be pretty. And I would have, you know, pushed my cuticles back and put on hand lotion. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Laura, what do nails have to do with it? This is a show on infidelity. And here's what I'm going to say. My nails had nothing to do with it. I have notoriously ugly nails. I don't enjoy getting manicures. I don't enjoy painting my nails. I use my nails as tools all the time. My hands are always a mess and it's never bothered me because my nails don't matter to me. What was going on in my life at that time was that I had no control over anything. Nothing was turning out. And for some reason, my mind fixated on my nails as something that I could control, something that I could do. I can file my nails and then I would feel accomplished. I can paint my nails and I would feel accomplished. It was me exercising control over something which was mentally healthy. It gave me something to grip onto. When, before that, when I was taking the bar exam in California, Same thing, I felt like I was losing control. And all of a sudden, the night before the bar exam, I decided that nothing would do, that I had to clean the copper bottoms of every single pot that I owned, and I needed to polish them perfectly. Now, is that a good use of my time the night before the bar exam? Oh, holy cow, no. That is a bad use of my time. But again, it's my psyche, it's my mind being like, ha ha. Here is something you can control. You can control and complete this project. And yeah, sure enough, once the bottom of my revereware copper pots were cleaned, I felt satisfied. I had accomplished something. Something was within my control. So when I talk about controlling something, I want you to think back to times in your lives where maybe you've obsessed over cleaning the house or doing something just random where you're like, why am I so obsessed about that? It's not about the thing. It's about control. And it's your mind desperately trying to get control over something so you can feel better, so you can be mentally healthy. And even if your mind just hasn't done that on its own, the way our minds sometimes do, what I want you to do is to find something that you can control. And I want you to do that. And I want you to consciously choose to do that. For instance, clean out one drawer. Oh, holy cow, do not clean out your whole bedroom. Do not clean out the whole kitchen. Pick a drawer. One. One. Complete that project. If you want to send an email to somebody, send an email. 
If you want to go to the store and buy thank you cards and send them to a few people, do that. If you want to pull weeds in a garden patch, not the whole thing, but in a patch, do that. If you want to buy and repotted plant, do that. If you want to clean the bathroom, clean the bathroom. I want you to find something that you can control. Again, not a person, but something. You can control it. And that's something that I want you to affirm for yourself. I can control this. I can control whether or not I walk away from this drawer that I'm cleaning out. I can control whether or not this plant gets repotted. I can control whether or not this bathroom gets cleaned. Find something that you can control it, that you can control and go control it. It's so good for your mind. And again, it's that teeter-totter balance. You're like, yeah. Even work out. You can control if you go to the gym or not. You can control if you pop in a workout DVD or download something on YouTube. Control it. Now, the other side of this control coin or this control teeter-totter is letting it go. And just like every time you grieve, I want you to balance it with finding your blessings and finding that thing to be grateful for. Every time you control something, every time you're like, yes, I painted my nails. Yes, I cleaned the bottom of my pans. Yes, I did whatever it is. I also want you to let something go, to literally breathe in, breathe out, and let it go. You're probably saying, all right, Laura, that seems a little easier said than done. So let me give you some tips on letting it go. First is asking yourself, can I control this? And Pretty much 100% of the time, the answer is no. I can't control whether or not my spouse cheated. I can't control whether or not my spouse wants to work things out. I can't control what the courts decide in a divorce. I can't control anything. Just having that recognition, number one, that you can't control it helps. Number two. I want you to think the word fear. F-E-A-R, fear. Again, you're probably saying, really, you're telling me to let it go and you want me to think fear? (laughs) Yes, I am. I want you to see the word fear in your mind's eye as a capital F, capital E, capital A, and capital R. Chances are you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Fear is an acronym for false expectations appearing real. When you're trying to let something go, the reason that you don't want to let it go is there's fear. There's fear oh my gosh, I worked so hard and things aren't going to turn out and I can't control this and this is awful. False expectations appearing real. So when I said the first thing is to ask yourself, can I control this? The answer is no. 
Second thing is to think fear. What is that false expectation? Why do you want this in the first place? So if you're wanting to work things out with your spouse, if you're like, I really want this close, intimate, connected relationship, I really want to keep our family together, I really want whatever it is that you want, what is the fear of not getting that? Hmm. I'm afraid I'm never going to find anybody. I'm afraid this is the best relationship I ever could have had. I'm afraid of messing up my kids. I'm afraid of having two households and not doing um, holidays with my kids. I'm afraid of the money. I'm afraid I'm too old. I'm afraid I'll never get a good enough job. I'm afraid that I won't be a good mom if I'm working full time. I'm afraid. List it. List it all. Everything that you list that you say that you're afraid of is your expectation. Now, I'm not asking or telling if that expectation is good or bad or right or wrong. But if you presume that that expectation is a false one, just presume. I don't want you to argue with yourself. This is not about arguing. This is about pinpointing the false expectations and how they are appearing real. So say your first expectation, your first thing that you're afraid of is I'm afraid of going back to work full time and being a bad mom. Okay, that's your expectation. Your expectation is that good moms don't work full time. Okay, let's just say that's false. That is the presumption that you have to start at. That's false. So a false expectation appearing real means that you have made a value judgment around that expectation and you don't know if it's true or not. In fact, you could be a better mom for working full time because finally you're happy and you're fulfilled and there's no arguing going on in the home and kids aren't sensing tension and blah, 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 blah. What is another expectation that you've got? That the family is going to be broken. Okay, that is that fear. You've got a fear of having a broken family. Okay, we've got to presume now that it is a false expectation and it is appearing real. And it just flips it on its head because if you can list that expectation and then turn it upside down and all of a sudden realize just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true. I'm not asking you to believe it in your heart. This is the step. This is the tool. This is the game. Name the expectation and then, hey, what if everything you thought was actually not true? It's turning it on its head and it switches your mindset because then suddenly you get curious. Oh, wow. What if that is false? What if it is false? And it just allows you to let it go because you're not attached to the outcome. You're not attached to, I've got to do everything in my power to keep this relationship. What if keeping this relationship was the worst thing you could do? What if having a faithful partner was the worst thing? And having a partner who was unfaithful was the best. Whoa, mind shift. 
Again, I'm not asking you to believe it. All I'm asking you to do is flip your expectations, flip your fears on their head. False expectations appearing real. Flip it on its head. And that will just help you to let go. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't know. I don't know. None of us know. We just have to let go. Letting go is letting go of the idea that we know. And that's that third part of letting go. Is it's letting, realizing that it's letting go of the idea that we know best. Letting go of the idea that this should or should not happen. It's not letting go of the person or the situation. It's letting go of our belief that this is what we want. Letting go of our belief that this is good or bad or right or wrong. So that is that second step. First is grieving balanced with finding your blessing. The second is exerting control over something to break yourself out of victim mode, balanced with letting go, which is just breathing in, breathing out, taking that thing that you fear, turning it on its head, and just starting with the presumption that, hey, it's a false expectation appearing real, and letting go of the idea that you know anything. Let go. Because the truth of the matter is you can't control it anyway. So I want to drill down a little bit into this one because this is one that comes up so often with my coaching clients. They are doing everything in their power to, not all of them, but some. Let me start this over. The ones who want to stay with our partners are doing everything in their power to remedy the relationship. And sometimes their partner is just not interested. Sometimes their partner is just not willing or ready to face the music, to hold themselves accountable, to admit the truth. And they will often come to me and they will say things like, well, what else can I do? Well, you can grieve. You can grieve that this is really, really sad, that your partner might not want the same thing that you want. You can count your blessings. You can list all the great things that are going on within you in your life. Second, you can exert control over something. That's what a lot of my coaching is. My coaching really helps you figure out how to control yourself, your life, your circumstance. You can control your self-development. You One of the things I do in my coaching is um, I give everybody access to these 30-second daily meditations. You can control if you listen to a 30-second daily meditation or not. I even say, I don't care if you're doing it while you're brushing your teeth or if you're really like full lotus position. I don't care. Just listen to it. It's just you exerting control over something and you proving to yourself that, yeah, I have dominion and control over myself. And then you can also let it go. Let your partner's behavior go. Maybe what they're doing is right. Maybe what you're doing is wrong. Just let it go. Have no plan. And just see how things turn out. Because it's about you finding that equilibrium. 
It's about you being poised and ready for whatever happens. Now, the third teeter-totter, the third coin that I want to talk about is catastrophizing versus glorifying. When things aren't turning out the way that we want, we have a tendency to either catastrophize or glorify. Oh my God, if I don't get this one job, this is the best job. This is the best relationship. And we make something that it's not. And I just want you to notice your tendency to think something is better than it is or worse than it is. Let's talk specifically about your cheating partner. (laughs) I was very, 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 very angry and upset, obviously, when I found out that my husband of 23 years at the time had cheated on me for 15 freaking years with five women. My mind bounced back and forth between what an evil, horrible, sick, twisted, perverted, awful human he was, where I could look back over everything that he ever did and I would hone in on everything and I'd have all these grievances against him. He was a narcissist. He was selfish. He was this. He was that. And I made him so awful. And then I'd get really, really sad and I would glorify. It was the best relationship ever. We had so much fun and he's so handsome and I'm never going to find somebody like that again. And this is just horrible and blah, 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 blah. It's about finding that equilibrium. Nobody is all good or all bad. No relationship is all good or all bad. Part of me would look back and I'd be like, I had the perfect relationship. And then I would think and I would get honest. Well, yeah, but except the times when he was picking fights with me. Well, yeah, but except the times. Yeah, but except the times. Nothing is all or nothing. Everything is a shade of gray. And when you are figuring out how to process not getting what you want. I want you, again, to lean into what is a glorification and what is a catastrophizing of something. I'm not asking you not to do it. It's normal to do it. Just like grief, you got to do it. But I'm just asking you to kind of be aware that you're doing that. And I'm big into journaling. I always have my client's journal. And one of the exercises that I have them journal is I want you to write both sides of this narrative. I want you to write about how amazing your partner was. And on a different day, I want you to write about what a demon they were. And I want you to just get that out of you. And then someday, read both of those back to back and see how the same thing can be interpreted so many different ways. And it will bring balance. And then I want you to do that for yourself. 
write about all the great things. And then write about all the awful things. You don't have to show anybody. But just write about it so you can kind of see and find that point of balance. You know, when I started this, I talked about as a lawyer, I'm always, I was trained to argue both sides. I was trained to see both sides of everything. So I could objectively balance and find the truth. Because being a lawyer is all about the pursuit of justice, the pursuit of truth, and realizing that in every situation, we can only see it from our point of view and that truth is somewhere in the middle. And one of the things that I'm always doing with people is trying to get them to see something from the other person's point of view, not to excuse the behavior, but to give you the opportunity to understand and to really process and to see what was going on. And sometimes people get really uncomfortable with that. And when people get really uncomfortable with that, one of the things that I tell them is that's okay. (laughs) Let's take a break. At some point, you'll be ready to do that. At some point, you'll be ready to do that. But if you were a lawyer and you were being paid to argue their case, if you were being paid, if your career depended on it, what would you do? What would you say? And without fail, when people actually get around to doing that, they feel better. Just because it breeds understanding. And I really don't think we can ever find forgiveness until we have true understanding of what's going on. And we can't have a true understanding of what's going on while we're still in that activated state of panic that, oh my God, I didn't get what I want. And this is horrible and awful. So what to do when you can't get what you want? When you didn't get the job or the person or the relationship or the child or the house or the whatever it is, what do you do? You seek equilibrium. How? Do you seek equilibrium by finding balance between the two extremes? The first point of equilibrium is between grief and counting your blessings. The second point of equilibrium is between exerting control over something and letting it go, letting go of the idea that you know. And then the third point of equilibrium is balancing in your mind why this thing that you wanted was the best thing in the world and why this thing that you wanted was the absolute worst thing in the world. Because the truth of the matter is nothing is wholly good, nothing is wholly bad. The truth of the matter is, we don't know when we need to let go of our notion that we do. So imagine those three teeter-totters in your head. See how they go up and down. See how they find that balance point in the middle. 
and strive to find that balance, that equilibrium within yourself. Every single time something happens where you feel like this isn't what I want and I'm not getting what I want and I am being shut down. Again, before we go, I want to remind you, go to betrayalrecoverycoach.com. When you put in your name and your email, you will be able to download my Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide. And you're really, really going to want it. It's just three basic tips that's going to help you come home to yourself. That's going to help you find that equilibrium and that balance within you. So whether it's something right now that's got you off balance, off kilter, or something that comes up in the future, you will always have that resource. And you will be able to learn those skills, practice those skills, and learn, keep those skills in your back pocket, not only now, but for the rest of your life. When you go to Betrayal Recovery Coach and you download this guide, you will also be put on my newsletter list that, of course, like any newsletter on the planet, you can opt out of, but you're not going to want to. And here's why. The first five days, you are going to get five daily emails, and then you'll hear from me like once every couple of weeks, not a big deal. But those first five days, you're going to get some really good tips, tricks, insights that's going to help you again, whether it's right now or in the future. You're building your arsenal, you're building your tools, and you are going to absolutely want those going forward. Thank you for being with me. I hope this has been useful on how to find that equilibrium, how to find your balance when you're not getting what you want. Have an amazing week. Remember to go to betrayalrecoverycoach.com, download your guide. Have an incredible week and always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Relationship issues impact every area of your life. When I found out about my husband's infidelity, I was so devastated. I could barely function. Sleeping was impossible because I couldn't shut off my brain. Eating was a challenge because I felt nauseous all the time. And for the first month or so, everything felt pointless. Whether you're having trouble sleeping, feeling hopeless, or just can't focus, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that might not be available in your area. Just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you'll be matched with a therapist in under 24 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. I know that confidentiality was important for me, especially early on when I couldn't even get my own mind wrapped around what was happening. And it was so comforting to be able to speak with someone candidly about everything I was going through. 
to validate that what I was feeling and experiencing was completely normal. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to flaunt, create a life you love after infidelity and betrayal listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash flaunt. That's betterhelp.com slash flaunt, F-L-A-U-N-T. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 